Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Hey everyone, this is Jim Galliano, and as always, thanks for joining me for today's podcast episode. Now let me kick things off today by saying I will finally be launching a brand new training on May 25th, And yes, this is the same training I was talking about earlier this year. It's my version of the one-to-many business growth strategy that will enable a solopreneur, freelancer, or small business owner to scale their business without following one of the energy-draining, high-overhead, dead-end, I hate to say it, business models that are so popular today. Yes, there's some work on the front end, but there's some work on the front end of everything that you set up. But it becomes much, much easier to move forward successfully and adjust to changes in the marketplace and more as time goes on. Look, after 24 years in the online business space, I have to say that I understand your struggles firsthand because I've lived through them personally. Most people start out small, they're providing a product or a service, and they do most of the work themselves. And then they get their first customers and clients And most people don't start out, to be quite honest about it, with a business plan. I know there's a lot of talk about doing it that way, but most people don't. They start out with an idea. From there, they flesh out their idea, which of course takes a little bit of time and effort. And eventually, you find that you're dividing up your time servicing existing clients and then trying to get new customers. And on top of it, you're trying to figure out what you need to do to make what you're building more successful financially. And there are certain days when, let's say, one client can monopolize all of your time. In other words, the whole day will basically be spent answering questions or helping them. And depending on your business model, you may or may not be compensated for that time. Now, I know many people out there, they charge a monthly fee for services which Let's say it covers a certain amount of time. It's like a retainer fee that a client pays every month and they get so much for that fee. But that same person who monopolizes your time in January maybe won't do so again until, let's say, I don't know, September of the same year. Or maybe they only need that time a few times a year. But the amount of income that you make from them every year balances out in your favor because 90% of the time, they don't need much of your time at all. But when they do, it can be all-consuming and you still end up losing a day. And even if maybe you're not spending 8 or 12 hours with them, I'm not saying it's that, but what their need is or what their questions are consume your thought life and there may be I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, an hour between emails as this conversation just stretches on throughout the day. And then you find that you lose that rhythm and you're really unable to get anything else done. So when these things begin to happen, you're at a point where if you hired someone to take over support, you'd be paying them basically for doing nothing but being on call for most of the time. So you're not really in a position where you can do that. So hiring someone doesn't make any sense at that point. If you have a partner working for you, you could always trade off who provides support next. 
Now, if you're selling a service, realize that customers have certain expectations of how long it should take for someone to respond to them when they do have a question or a problem. Now, there's a certain point at which you'll experience growing pains, no matter what type of business that you have. Your resources, even if we're just talking about time, will be stretched on some days or some months, and you can end up having some really long days or weeks in there. And in fact, it's common at certain points to question your entire approach to the growth of your business. I know I did. And these are the realities that we don't hear people talking about much that online business owners face each and every day. Now, in my own experience, I hired people. I'm talking about developers and designers. As I was building out my digital agency business, and initially, hiring others was like a huge weight being taken off my shoulders. However, after that, I quickly learned that creating a team and maintaining a team were two different things especially if the work you're doing isn't consistent enough on a month-by-month basis to keep the money flowing to your team members. And so there is an element of stress there that isn't there when you're doing just about everything yourself or when you've automated some of your processes. Also, there's the question of competition. What do I mean by that? I'm talking about the people who can do more than you can do if you match your business with theirs. I've jumped right into this topic, it seems, so I may as well keep on going with it. The realistic path to business growth isn't as glamorous as some have made it out to be. Let's talk about a realistic path to business growth, and let's start with your competition. So let's say, again, they have more capabilities, they can do more things, or maybe they can just handle a greater volume than you can uh, more efficiently or more effectively. So as a less established business, and yes, unlike the offline world, a digital business can be less established and survive, at least as far as the basics go, longer in the online world than it can in the offline world because of the overhead. You don't need a brick and mortar presence with online businesses, generally speaking, as you do with a small business. And so what happens is you bring what you have to the table And you bring it into your marketplace in the world of online business, small business in particular, and what you bring to the table takes you as far as it takes you. And then what? What happens when that's not far enough? As usual, I feel compelled to draw my analogies from what I can only describe as the deep well of boxing history, the fight game. Now, way back in the early 1900s, there were only eight weight classes. Today, there's like three times that. The biggest money, of course, was always made in the heavyweight division. Beneath the heavyweight division in the early days was the light heavyweight division, followed by the middleweight division. The weight limit for light heavyweights was 175 pounds, and the weight limit for middleweights was 160 pounds. Now, as I was saying, the big money was always found in the heavyweight division, and over the years, There was no shortage of light heavyweight champions as well as middleweights, middleweight champions who went ahead, put on weight and challenged for the heavyweight title. Now, no one succeeded until far into the future, which is now our past, until Michael Spinks 
beat a slower, older Larry Holmes back in 1985. Now, Larry Holmes was one of the all-time great fighters who had the misfortune of following Muhammad Ali as a dominant champion, and there were forever comparisons made. He sort of fought in the shadow of Muhammad Ali. I'm sure that most of you at least know who he is. Now, after this fight, it was a close fight. I saw it live. I remember some people were claiming that the fix was in against Larry Holmes. Now, Larry Holmes was the kind of individual who fit the definition of being politically incorrect for his time. He just went ahead and said what was ever on his mind, and oftentimes he did it on live TV, so it didn't really work out too well for him. But he's the perfect representation of the person that didn't fit in and took his God-given tools and used them to carve out an, an outstanding career for himself, even if he doesn't get the recognition that some of the other more popular fighters of the time get or received. But let's get now to the analogy for this. The fight game has weight classes for a reason. If you're born a natural fit for 160 pounds or to compete at that level, you're not going to be at your best by putting on weight and challenging fighters who weigh over 190 pounds. And today, usually it's over 220 pounds. Again, plenty of fighters tried. Some of them got pretty close, but not quite. Roy Jones Jr., in the modern era, back in the 1990s, was the only middleweight to have successfully done it. But even then, it could be argued that he did it against a weaker champion who had the style that was the perfect fit for him, uh, who either way, even if Roy Jones wasn't there, would have had a short uh, title reign, a short time spent at the top. Now, bringing this back to you and I, with your business, you can quote-unquote put on weight if you want to. You can compete in higher divisions, in higher marketplaces. You can invest in systems. You can secure investment. You can hire talented people. You can challenge the big accounts or the big players in your industry. But only you know if you're going to feel comfortable, quote unquote, carrying around that weight long term or not. Now, putting all analogies aside, we're talking about responsibilities. We're talking about stress. We're talking about pressure. We're talking about money. And everyone I've ever talked to who has spent their entire careers competing at the highest levels in the most competitive arenas couldn't wait in retrospect when you hear them talk about it until the day they finally got out. And this is why it's so important to understand exactly what it is that you're building and why you're building it and not to be disillusioned, not even in the slightest about what the competition is. Let me explain. Suppose you were building websites for car dealerships in the late 1990s. Or suppose you were building websites for even banks or credit unions. Both industries require for companies serving those industries to quote-unquote bulk up and put on weight, so to speak, in order to stay competitive over the years. Remember, online banking, in the big picture, as I like to say, is relatively new. In the 1990s, even the late 1990s, online banking wasn't a common way to do banking. The level of technology needed to run certain types of online businesses, again, if you're going to serve 
the car industry or especially if you're going to serve the banking industry where people are doing online transactions and security at the highest level is a must. The level of technology to run these businesses is above and beyond what it takes to run other types of businesses. There's also insurances that are needed, liabilities that have to be covered. The point is, don't choose a course of action for yourself where it will inevitably lead to a place where you have two choices, go big or go home, just to stay in business. Now back to the fight game. There have always been smaller fighters who stayed in their weight class for their entire careers and experienced incredible success. In recent times, the fighter known as Floyd Money Mayweather, maybe some of you are familiar with his name, he recently retired. He's an example of someone who, at the height of his talent, only weighed between 135 and 147 pounds. And in the past, fighters that fought in those weight classes typically didn't make even a fraction of what he made during his career. Today in the online world, there are business models that do not require a huge ongoing investment. You won't have to bulk up, so to speak, just to stay competitive. One of my clients owns a skincare and permanent makeup business. And when we first met, she told me she was using a company, a software as a service, a SaaS company, so to speak, and to take care of her checking and her, uh, her checkout processes, her client management, all of that, to run, basically it was the in-house software she used to run her business. And the company was owned by two guys that she really enjoyed working with. But what happened was, and she became my client while she was still doing business with these two other, with these two guys, she said she really enjoyed them. They were very personable. It, there was no problem there. But what happened was big players had entered the marketplace and they weren't able to keep up the development of their software at the same speed at which the bigger companies were doing. We're talking now about companies who were offering software solutions specifically made for spas and health clinics and businesses in the health and beauty space. And these companies were offering everything from coupon systems to improved checkout systems, gift certificates, email marketing, all of these things all under the same roof and all for the cost of a single subscription. Just let that sink in for a moment. But the company that she was using, the, the small family business, which is basically two brothers working together along with a few outsourced developers, they couldn't keep up with all of the features and bells and whistles offered by the big company. Every six weeks, the bigger company was rolling out improvements that it was taking their company six to nine months just to catch up. And when that starts to happen, the writing, as they say, is on the wall for the smaller company more often than not. So eventually, even though she really enjoyed working with these guys, she had to part ways with them and go with the better option. So companies rose up and did the same thing basically in the auto industry, in the banking industry, and just about any other industry where you can see there's really big money. Big money attracts big players, but that doesn't mean a smaller business isn't in a position or place where they too can make big money. They just have to go about it a different way. 
Now, with the passing of time, I have no doubt that most of you will alter or add or remove services to match the needs of your changing marketplace. That's just how business works and how it changes and grows. We're really getting down to the nitty gritty now. So the question is, are you competing in a market that is naturally suited in the long term for the big companies or the heavyweights? Because if so, here's how it's going to play out. Over time, you will lose and continue to lose clients to these bigger companies who can do what you can do and more. In some cases, they'll even be able to do it cheaper because they have a volume of clients they're drawing income from from month to month. Also, keep in mind that many of these bigger companies are using, especially public traded companies, of course, other people's money. So on paper, which is where we start with all of our initial planning, or maybe you can call it the drawing board, we can identify some solutions to all of these challenges that we're talking about. So for example, if it's just you or it's you and a partner, you can niche down and pick a lane. And this is easier said than done because to do this, you have to change your messaging. Even as you do this, the nice thing is, is that certain clients will know you well enough and are happy enough with the work that you do that they won't want to make any changes and they'll be clients for life. But that said, once you begin to niche down, you'll realize that your messaging will no longer have the appeal that it once did with some of your current clients. And believe me, I know if you're in a hurry to grow, uh, anyone with the ability to pay you will seem like a good customer in the short term. But we're not talking about the short term right now. We're talking about you being around for the long term. We're talking about the future of your business. It's easy to fixate on who your message will no longer be speaking to as you begin to niche it down. Now, maybe you like to believe that you can fit in anywhere, and maybe you can. If we're just talking about connecting with people, I know there's people that feel comfortable no matter who they're around. But what we're talking about here is much more complex. We're talking about business now. And I had a credit union as a client back in the day before the online banking began. And once that started gaining traction, I recognized that I really didn't have a future with that kind of a client unless I wanted to go all in on that market. And that includes all of the things that accompany the commitment of going all in. In order to serve certain industries successfully, you just have to cease from all of your other activities. You can't dabble a little bit here and a little bit there, at least not in the beginning, not until you're big, not until you're really well established. So in the big picture, we might ask the real question, which is, what class are you best suited to compete in? Now, sometimes the answer to that question is different from what class do you want to compete in? Several months back, I think I mentioned the purpose of what's called a SWOT analysis, S-W-O-T, as being part of a formal business plan. That's S-W-O-T, which stands for Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. In one of my first business ventures, I brought my strengths to the table. As a 20-something-year-old, I saw an opportunity there. Remember, S-W-O-T, but I didn't take the time to analyze my weaknesses or the threats that were on the not-too-distant horizon. Now, a friend of mine opened a restaurant, and 
they were managing the restaurant, they were the owner, and all of the things were going pretty good. They were making money, they were doing well, they were growing in popularity, but they began having problems with the chef. They began having problems with the chef, and eventually they got to the point where my friend thought, hey, I have all of the recipes, I also know how to cook, I'm a decent cook, and I can do this. Why deal with this irritable person when I can just do the cooking myself and not have to be bothered with dealing with this personality? And so that's what they did. A year later, unfortunately, the restaurant closed down. Now, yes, I believe you and I can learn anything we put our hearts and minds to, but that's not always the wisest course of action when it comes to what part you should be playing in your business. There are two sayings that come immediately to mind. The first is history repeats itself, and the second is history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And so between those two, I think that you can pick and choose from examples that we see in the past and more or less overlay them to what's happening in the world around us now and be able to navigate the situation with a little bit of foresight rather than just being reaction mode and living in the moment. For example, years ago, Microsoft began putting a lot of software companies out of business. And if you were around back then in the 1990s, you probably remember, especially in the early 90s, that there were companies out there that had some very good products. I'm talking about word processing software, spreadsheet software, various types of office software. But if you look how things unfolded throughout that decade, eventually Microsoft secured such a high percentage of market share that it became impossible for these other companies to compete at that level. So some of these companies like WordPerfect and others were eventually purchased by other companies looking to put together their own office suites. Corel is one example of it. I know Adobe bought a bunch of products in their niche, but we can see how this plays out over time. Gradually, as I said, Microsoft made it so that the companies that were producing that kind of software were no longer able to compete. Today, we have a handful of alternatives that we can pick from that will get the job done. Microsoft and Google basically own this space, but there's a lot of other products that are open source. I shouldn't say a lot, but the amount of market share that they control is, is almost invisible compared to a Microsoft or a Google. It's amazing how they stay in business, but if we jump into a time machine and we went back to the 90s and we applied the SWOT analysis technique, we would be able to see fairly clearly how things were unfolding as far as what what type of decisions are we going to make for our business going forward. We would have seen these things. I remember an earlier interview at the time with Bill Gates where a person interviewing him asked if it was his goal to monopolize the software market, and his answer was no, not at all. And he then went on to explain that Microsoft wasn't interested in serving niches but in products that would be used by the masses and that there was plenty of room for more software companies to enter into the marketplace in different niches and serve those niches more directly than a company like Microsoft, for example, was capable of serving. So navigating weaknesses and threats may be the one area that more entrepreneurs are blind towards because of our willingness to take risks, and that willingness often overrides facts that are in especially in hindsight, are right in front of us. They're hiding in plain sight. In other words, it's tempting to see what you want to see, especially if you've already started building something. You don't want to suddenly just stop and say, I'm going down the wrong path. 
it's not necessarily that you're going to come to that conclusion, but there may be several major adjustments that you're going to make. Your skill set is always going to be your skill set, but how it's presented to the marketplace, how it's packaged determines in a large part whether your business succeeds or fails. And so, yeah, as an entrepreneur, it's tempting to see what you want to see and ignore what you don't want to see. But we see that happening with people in general, not just entrepreneurs. People see what they want to see and they ignore what they don't want to see. And oftentimes they will say, yeah, I knew that this situation was there or I knew this person was like this, but I just made an excuse for it and I continued down the path I wanted to go down. Sometimes you see what you want to see because you want something to work out the way you envisioned it. Now let's look at a real world scenario here for a moment. Many of us use WordPress to build out some of the key components in our online businesses. Now, in the past, I've often advised people looking to get into e-commerce to choose a tool like a Shopify to build out their online store instead of WordPress. There's other options out there, too, like Square. That's the company the former uh, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey runs. He's the CEO of that company. And that's also a publicly traded company like Square or, excuse me, like Shopify. And people have asked, well, can I build my store or e-commerce platform myself using WordPress? And the answer, of course, is yes. But there are a few issues here. For example, WooCommerce, which is the tool of choice in the WordPress space. I know there's other tools out there, but WooCommerce stands head and shoulders above the rest. It can and it has caused more technical issues than, let's say, someone would experience if they had their e-commerce store built on a platform like a Shopify. Now, WooCommerce, just the general plugin is free, but also to get the exact functionality you may want, you may have to buy additional plugins. Now, on top of these things and these fees, there's also the question of web hosting. So if you're starting out and you have a low volume business, you may be able to get away with hosting the site on a well-managed shared hosting server. I know people that have done that, but in most cases, it's going to be to your advantage to step it up a notch to VPS hosting. Now, that's just if an individual wants to build a store for themselves and they're considering using WordPress and WooCommerce. But let's say that you're a designer or you're a developer or you're a service provider and you're thinking about the future of your own business and you're thinking, you know, I can make better money by creating e-commerce stores for people who sell and then fill in the blank. Now, if you make a statement like that, that is a true statement. You can make more money creating e-commerce stores than just a traditional basic website because of the time and the intricacy involved in, especially depending if that person has hundreds of products or dozens of products or all of the little things they may want as far as store functionality goes, and they may want a marketing system integrated, you can go ahead and you can use WordPress Plus on top of that. Maybe you go with Gutenberg as your page builder or Beaver Builder or Elementor or Generate Blocks or Oxygen Builder or Divi. Right? We're talking about all of these different tools that you're using to make it work. Now, some are definitely preferred above the others. And then, of course, you're plugging in WooCommerce with those things. Could you do it? Yes, you could do it. 
But now this is just my opinion. You can differ with me and that's fine. And you don't have to just apply this way of thinking to e-commerce. You can apply it to anything. Okay. So I'm just using this as an example. Let's look at the big picture and consider some of the potential threats that are out there. So for example, if I were considering doing this and let's say, let me just click on this quickly here and take a look at the Shopify pricing page. Let me open this up here. If you go to shopify.com, if you're sitting around and you actually want to see what I'm seeing right now, let me take a look at this. If I go to shopify.com and I go to their pricing page, this is what I'll find. So I can set up a basic store at Shopify for $29 a month. So someone may say, well, of course, $29 a month, why pay that when you don't have to pay anything and you can just go ahead and you can use WooCommerce? Well, you know, as we dig into this a little bit more, we can see what's exactly involved in this $29. Number one, you get your online store, of course, that includes the website and blog if you want that. You have unlimited products. You can have two staff members log in. If it's just two people, then it can be you and your business partner. You get 24-7 support. Now that would be something that would be a little bit difficult to compete with for $29 a month if you wanted to match them benefit for benefit. You have uh, sales channels. You can sell in online marketplaces. It says channel availability varies by country. You have inventory locations. You can assign inventory to retail stores, warehouses, pop-ups, or wherever you store products. You can use up to four for that. You have manual order creation, discount codes, free SSL. You have abandoned cart recovery, gift cards. Now, what you don't have are reports, okay? And you don't have third-party calculated shipping rates. But let me just go down just so you can get an idea. You have customer segmentation, so you can filter and group your customers into if you want hundreds of different segments, you have marketing automation so you can send out automated emails with and you can create custom workflows. You have unlimited contacts as far as that goes. You have what's called Shopify shipping and it says that's competitive shipping rates if you're doing something um, physical, right, that you would send out with UPS or DHL or one of those express services. They provide shipping labels. You have fraud analysis. They take the online credit cards for you. You can do in-person transactions. You have a point of sale with Shopify Lite. It comes with this. You have um, international commerce. You can define, it says here, geographic market areas. You can market domains and uh, you have market domains and subfolders. You have language translation. You have currency conversion. You have local payment methods. <laughs> you get all of this for $29 a month on their basic plan. Now, the next plan, the next size up is $79. Tell me, are you going to piece together using WordPress a bunch of plugins to get that same functionality and still be able to compete with a Shopify that's providing everything, including the hosting, for $29 a month? What happens if the store really begins to grow and really starts to eat up server resources? Like, for example, they're going to have a special launch for the holidays or a special launch 24-hour special on another holiday. Do you get where I'm coming from? Now, the next one up from that is $79. 
and you get everything that I just mentioned in the previous, plus some other bells and whistles. And then if we go all the way up to their $299 a month plan, you get all kinds of things. But one of the things that's actually a little cheaper is the credit card processing rate. So for example, if you're spending $79 a month, you're doing a lot of transactions, the average credit card rate transaction online is 2.9% plus about 30 cents per transaction. But this goes down to 2.6% plus 30 cents per transaction. If you're doing a lot of business, you know that these little fees here can really add up. So you do have the discount that goes with that, along with the discount of your shipping. So, you know, I'm not reading this to discourage you. I'm reading this to show you the reality of what it is to compete in certain spaces. And yes, even though maybe we could duplicate the benefits or the value of a Shopify using our WordPress, WooCommerce, web hosting stack with a bunch of premium plugins, think about the context of the business plan in general. We're talking about building a business that's designed to sell e-commerce sites to, and you can fill in the blank. So you may be asking yourself, well, how does Shopify do all this? Well, Shopify and others like them, they're selling their stock shares on the New York Stock Exchange. And you can see as of this recording, because I just took a look at it earlier today, their shares hover between $370 to $380 per share. And then there's the question of scaling. In order to grow, services like Shopify, who have a steady stream of investors through their publicly traded stock, right? Services like Shopify have to keep upgrading or adding to their existing value because they have other competitors out there that are big in this space, like a Square and others. Because no market stands still, you would have to do the same. So to scale your business would, at the very least, require what I think you would consider to be a significant financial investment, at the very least. So if you consider a three to five year outlook for this type of business model, you can get a more realistic insight into what you're up against. And that's really what it's all about right now. You want to be able to plan with at least some confidence that you're in a place where your skills are going to be maximized, where your individual advantages are going to be maximized, and it's going to be difficult for the average person to compete with you. And you can do it, but you just have to be willing to acknowledge where your strengths are and where they aren't. Believe me, your skill set, whatever it is, it could be design, it could be writing, it could be editing of some kind, it could be building or coding, it could you could be a consultant, whatever it is, you are valuable. And all of the knowledge and experience that you have, are it's not for naught. In other words, you can build a very successful business where you're at with what you have, you just have to choose the right lane in order to ensure that the business growth plan, the business growth strategy is gonna be a good match for you, right? It's like the little fighter trying to bulk up. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Sometimes it makes what makes more sense is to have a quote unquote record number of title defenses and longevity in your division. You know, sometimes you look at, Fighters and say, oh, this guy's just a, a lightweight. Uh, Roberto Duran was a lightweight, considered one of the greatest ever. Sugar Ray Leonard was a welterweight, considered one of the best ever. These weren't heavyweights, but yet these people were successful. The lie is 
is that you can't be you and still succeed in the online space of today. That's absolutely not true. All you need are the right tools that match up well for you and the skills and the insight and the experience that you have, others will find extremely valuable. It's just how we package these things together and that we make sure that it's something that you can maintain as far as your forward movement goes. When I say maintain, if we looked at the, a load that you had to carry, if your business responsibilities could fit into a backpack that, were, that was light enough for you to carry, then absolutely you could succeed wildly because in that backpack would be everything that you need, your sales system, your marketing system, and everything else. Now, if, you're, if all your business responsibilities for you as an individual require a semi to, to put all of those activities into, then maybe not so much. It all comes down to you. And unfortunately, a lot of us admire the things that other people are good at and that we're not. A lot of us, for whatever reason, just want to get out of the lane that's best suited for us because we've been led to believe that we have to be someone else to be successful. And again, I'm telling you, that's absolutely not true. I used to think to myself, this is just a um, personal admission, I guess you could say, I wish I was born earlier. I wish I was born in a different time. And sometimes as I was in my early 20s or 30s, I used to think, I wish I was born later. <laughs> I wish I was more into the future than I am. But today, when I look back at how everything comes together, I just think that, yeah, I believe that people have a God-given destiny. That's my personal belief. But I believe I came along at just the right time for me. And if you asked me about you, I would have to say the same for you. I, I would say that you're not an accident, that you were came at just the right time. You just don't see it yet. Maybe you won't see it for several more years. I would put everything on that belief. That's how, that's how convinced I am that that's true. So having a three to five year outlook is very important. You know, getting back to WooCommerce, I've never been a fan of WooCommerce for a variety of reasons. But if you have a smaller store and you're not looking at 100,000 plus visitors a month, it is an option. And believe me, I am the type of person that I will, I will root for the little guy forever. I will root for the person who starts out in a small corner of their bedroom because they can't afford to do anything other than that. To me, the experience of starting from the ground up is priceless. In my own experience, I start from the ground up. I would say pretty, pretty close to it, but I know there's people that started even a lower point than I started, but I bootstrapped. That's what I did. I didn't get investors. I did have an option to get investors. I did have people willing to invest money, but these were people I personally knew and I didn't want to blow their money because I wasn't that confident that I could do what the other side of me, the positive side thought, oh yeah, you can go ahead and do that. So Big picture is this, as a solopreneur or small business owner, scaling or growing the number of people that you're doing business with, it doesn't have to follow the traditional path, the path that these bigger, larger companies follow. Online service providers like freelancers, for example, work with one to a handful of people at any given time. Eventually, their time will be maxed out, which puts a cap on their income. However, there will forever be people in the online space that fill two very distinct, very different categories of an online customer. 
Number one, there is the individual who is willing to pay to have the service done for them. And that includes people who, yes, can do the job themselves. People hire other people to, for example, cut their lawn. Can they cut it themselves? I'm sure they're physically able to do it themselves. At least some of them are. Now, if you're selling a service, you may be selling it to people who maybe the only choice for them is to outsource it to someone else because they can't do whatever it is that you do. Or you may have some clients or customers who can do the job but don't want to. They're looking for convenience. Are you following me? Now, on the other side, and this is where a lot of service providers, they really don't realize that these people are there. There's a whole lot of other people out there who are do-it-yourselfers. Some because they can't afford to have it done for them. They become do-it-yourselfers. And others because they enjoy the activity. So yes, much of your business may have been built up until this point in time that we're talking about right now here today by providing a service for others. It's the easiest way to get started. But may I suggest that you're leaving a whole lot of money potentially on the table by not providing the training, the insights, and the know-how that will enable others to do it themselves. And this is where the one-to-many business model, whether you use this model exclusively or as an add-on to a service type of business, allows you to excel as a small business owner, a solopreneur, etc., to scale not only your income in the marketplace, but also your impact. Because the short of it is this, there are many people out there, again, who can benefit from your knowledge, from your insights, and from your experience who are do-it-yourselfers. And these are not the kind of people that are going to go ahead and pay others to do the service for them. Now, if you already have a service side to your business, you don't have to part ways with it. I would say the bright side to it, or some may call it a silver lining, is that you no longer have to be anchored to it. You no longer have to be a slave to it as far as planning for your future goes. The advantage of a one-to-many income stream is that it's so, so much easier to scale. And also having a little bit of variety can be a very good thing. If you're providing services day in and day out, week in and week out, then you know that it can be wearying at times. But having that, now let me just say this, the key to making this work as a small business owner is to systematize the marketing side of a one-to-many income stream, which includes automation. Without an automated system, you're basically spreading yourself thin and you'll end up more or less trying to build two different businesses under a single banner. Now, for the past decade or so, a large part of marketing has taken the form of people putting themselves out there and spending large amounts of time on social media, building connections. And that was great. Many of you listening who personally know me, that's how we met. We met on social media. Today, that method still works, but it works in slow motion as compared with the past. Today, you have to be smarter than ever before with your time, and this is where automation comes in. Think about how a factory assembly line works. I'm sure you've seen movies of assembly lines in the past. You would have this line with products going down it and all these people working, putting things together. It's just a whole bunch of people on an assembly line manually working. And today, if you look at the modern assembly line, yeah, there are still assembly lines out there, but the manual work is but a fraction of what it once was. Machines and automations have replaced the manual processes, sometimes in part and sometimes completely. 
Now, if you consider the activity of networking, networking is like manual labor. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with it, but many of you aren't going to get the mileage out of networking going forward like you did in the past. And if for no other reason, just take a look at the time we're living in. So, so much has changed over the past few years. Now, there's also many pluses to this as well, because automation doesn't have to be expensive as it used to be. Once you have the tools in place, you're basically set. What changes over time is the content that's being automated, is the message that's being automated. But when you consider the fact that time is money, and you think about all of the time that you've invested in the past with things like social media and conversations and inboxing and live chats, I'm talking about, yes, being live and being present in real time, taking part in conversations. It wasn't cheap building whatever following you've built up until now, up until this point in time. It wasn't cheap connecting with others, time being money. And, you know, in the past, I have to admit, it used to be fun doing it. But is it really that enjoyable today? Again, look at the time we're living in. So automating a one-to-many system, I have to tell you, can be very fun, very enjoyable also. In fact, it can be a breath of fresh air to your business. And in the big picture, for those of you really looking to move the needle significantly, As a smaller business owner, the number of people you're able to help by providing a service in your marketplace, that number is but a fraction of the number of people you'll be able to help who are in the do-it-yourself category. Do you remember that old saying, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. That's the one-to-many business strategy in a nutshell. That is the business model in a nutshell, except you'll be teaching groups of people. You will not be limited to just one person at a time. And yes, you can still enjoy providing services directly to those you enjoy working with. So if you're interested in learning more about how all of this works, the nitty gritty details, I'll have the training available to you starting on May 25th. That's what I was talking about at the beginning of today's episode. Okay, that's about all for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think it will help a friend, please go ahead and share the episode link with them or send them to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. All the back episodes can be found there as well. And as always, your sharing of this podcast is much appreciated. It helps me whether you're sharing the podcast as a whole or an episode link more specifically. It really does help me reach more people that could really use a lift with their business. So thank you for doing that. And thanks again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week and I'll talk to you later.